What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me here for this Tuesday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We're a Sports Ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You guys can hit me up over on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. All of our new podcasts, articles, news and notes, everything we got going on on the baseball side, we share out at EthosFantasyBB, so make sure you're following over there. If you're not somebody who's on Twitter, go check out SportsEthos.com. If you hover over our MLB tab, you'll still get all that same content, minus the little tweet updates that our guys are sending out throughout the day. You can't get that without being on Twitter, but you get pretty much everything else if you are going to SportsEthos.com. Guys, we're going to be doing a mailbag show today. We're gonna. I opened up the floor earlier on Twitter to let you guys throw out your questions there. We got, I think, 15 or so questions we're going to go through today. But I want to start off by talking about this Aaron Judge situation from last night. I know this is not the most unique topic. Everybody has been talking about it this morning and last night. If you are unfamiliar, which I feel like everybody probably has heard about it at this point, Aaron Judge peeked over into the either the Yankees dugout or down the first baseline to look at his coach, or you're looking at something on the right side of the infield slash off the field. And the Blue Jays broadcast picked up on the fact that he was doing this, and immediately after, he hit an absolute nuke 460 feet to center field. Now, there is a few things to unpack here. Number one, I think that it's completely justified of the Blue Jays' broadcast booth, Dan Schulman and Buck Martinez, to, you know, comment on what they see. That's what they're there for. They are the commentators. They are going to comment on the goings-on that they see. If they see something that looks maybe a little fishy, they're going to comment on it. And there's no problem with that at all in my mind. Considering the cheating that we've seen throughout baseball the last couple of years, everybody has the right to have their back up a little bit in terms of what's going on, especially when just as recently as at the end of last season – We got a report that the Yankees were potentially getting preferential treatment from the league. They were getting balls that were easier to hit home runs with. Who knows how coordinated that effort was. If the findings were, in fact, accurate, I believe that they were, based on reading the report. It's been a while. I should probably go back and take a look at it now. I can't remember who who it was that released the report, but it was a, a compilation of several different people who were putting together information regarding the balls that the Yankees were getting, especially down the stretch. They seem to be getting preferential treatment. The Yankees are the league's darling. It wouldn't surprise me if the Yankees could do things and the league wouldn't care as much because they want the Yankees to do well. It's good for ratings. It's good for everything. When the Yankees do well, they are the most high-profile team in arguably the world. Um, but I don't think that they were cheating. You know, I, I probably should have started that off the top because some people might have tuned out and said, ah, he's just going to believe that the Yankees are cheating. No, I, I don't believe that they were cheating. I don't believe that Aaron Judge was doing anything nefarious. I think what was probably happening is that the Blue Jays were tipping their pitches, whether it was from the pitcher, whether it was from the catcher, whether it's some way that the infield was set, whatever it was, because I believe that the Blue Jays' first baseman do wear the pitch comm as well, whether it's Guerrero or Brandon Belt, they might hear certain things that's going to be a certain kind of pitch, set up a certain kind of way, whatever it is. If you're picking up on that as an opposing coach, manager, player, whoever, that's totally fair game. You know, if you're out there throwing down signs and there was, you know, it's kind of confusing because... Pitchcom, you'd figure there wouldn't really be the need to throw down signs, but also I believe Kirk does throw down some signs as well, and he positions himself in a fairly open stance with his right knee, typically on the ground. So there is an opening for a first base coach or maybe somebody in the field, if there's a base runner, not in the field necessarily, that would be their own team, but base runners, players in the field from the dugout, there might be something there that the team is picking up on, and if that's the case totally within their right to be relaying that information to the batter as long as we're not talking about, you know, 
the things that the Astros and the Red Sox were doing several years ago, which was using technology to aid them in their cheating. I don't think that that's the situation. Now, if I'm the Blue Jays, I'm definitely going to be keeping, if I'm the rest of the league, I'm going to be keeping a rather close eye on the Yankees just to make sure everything is above board because I think it is, but you never really know. You can't really trust anybody, So you, and especially the Yankees. So you do need to kind of keep a closer than usual eye. But at the end of the day, I think Aaron Judge was probably being alerted that you know, this pitch was coming, that pitch was coming. There's been some kind of pitch tipping, and the Blue Jays are going to work on that. According to their manager, John Schneider, they're going to, you know, go over the film in depth and see if there is a tell, whether it's from the catcher, the pitcher, the first baseman, whoever. But I also don't like what I've seen today on Twitter, some people disparaging Dan Schulman and Buck Martinez, who are the Blue Jays' play-by-play announcers. Two of the most respected, arguably the most respected play-by-play duo in the game. I know that I'm a Blue Jays fan. I'm a bit of a homer. I will support them probably more so than I should, and you guys can see that with my Alec Manoa support. It's still fairly unwavering, even though I know it looks awful. I can be a homer. That being said, Dan Schulman was the Sunday night baseball commentator for a number of years. He stepped down from that position to be closer to his family and his kids and move back to Toronto and do Blue Jays games primarily. Buck Martinez has been around the game since the 1960s, I believe. He has played, he has managed, he has broadcasted. He has known the game as well as anybody. These two guys are not going out there just stirring the pot for no reason, just to, you know, just to be shits. If they're saying something, it's because they wanted to explore it and, you know, comment on it. There's not like, oh, these guys are, sh-. I heard some awful takes. These guys are shitty commentators and they don't know what they're talking about and they just want to hate the Yankees. That's just ridiculousness. We're talking about two incredible play-by-play men, in particular Dan Schulman at this point, because Buck Martinez, he's a bit older, he's dealing with cancer. He's not 100% at the top of his game anymore. Dan Schulman is still arguably the best commentator in all of pro sports. He is incredibly talented. He is a national broadcaster. He is not just some Blue Jays homer who's going to be spouting off nonsense. You know, He's had a 35-year career, the 40-year career mm-hmm. as a broadcaster. I don't think that he is just going out there saying shit just to be going around on Twitter or, or stir, you know, it's, I think that that kind of take is ridiculous. I don't think the Yankees were cheating, but at the same time, I think we should probably keep a fairly close eye on them just so we can make sure there was nothing going on. I don't think that they're using technology in a different stadium, you know, because there's been, you know, the Astros were cheating in their stadium and they were able to set up, um, you know, the cameras in the outfield and relay signs, so they were doing it. I don't know that you could do that in an away park unless you got somebody in center field relaying signs or something. And I don't, I don't, I really don't think they were cheating, but we're not really going to know, I, I don't think. Because we know that the Astros were cheating, but we don't really know fully to the extent. We know the Red Sox were cheating to some degree. We don't, like, you never really get the full picture. So, Again, there's no tinfoil hat here. This is just me kind of going through my thought process. I do not think that there was anything that was that nefarious going on. I think that they were maybe just tipping pitches. Got to remember also, it was like an 85-mile-an-hour slider that was hung right over the middle of the plate. It's not exactly like he hit some pitch that was painted a fastball on the outside corner that he hit 500 feet. This was a slider from, a, 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 let's call a spade a spade, a, a bad pitcher that got crushed. And I I. You know, as much as I'd like to think, yeah, the Yankees are cheating, I don't think that they were. So I'll leave it there. We'll move on to the mailbag, but I did want to get my thoughts out on that because that is kind of the hot topic of the day that everybody has been going over and probably to the point where they're beating a dead horse into the ground because there's nothing that anybody on Twitter can actually uncover about this. 
it's just going to have to, you know, run its course. And I think at the end of the day, it's a big nothing burger. Unfortunately, for Blue Jays fans and for the rest of the world who would like to see the uh, the Yankees get punished in some way or, you know, people who hate the Yankees just don't want to see good fortune come to them. I, you know, generally agree for the most part. I don't like the Yankees, but here I really don't think they were doing anything wrong. So let's get to these mailbag questions now. Let's start off with a trade question here. Trade Bryce Harper for Clayton Kershaw. I think depending on team need, it's fairly reasonable. Bryce Harper has come back and looked incredible. 43 at-bats. He's got 14 hits, a couple of homers. He's stolen a base. He's playing every day. Since he's come back, he has played, I believe, every single day. So I don't know that they're really going to worry about, you know, getting his feet wet a couple days a week. That's not what they have done at all. I think that he is just going to be an every single day player at this point who has the potential to return first-round fantasy value. That is the upside with Bryce Harper is a first-round player. Clayton Kershaw, to this point, has been a first-round player. He's thrown 49 innings. He's got 56 strikeouts, a 236 ERA. He's got a sub-one whip. He's won six games as well, Clayton Kershaw. I think it's a fairly even trade here. I, I don't, you know, a team need is always going to dictate if a trade makes sense or not because you might have a, fairly, a completely even trade where you're acquiring a closer and giving away an outfielder, but you have four closers already, and therefore it's a stupid trade. Every trade at the end of the day is team-dependent, and I think – if you need some pitching, uh, you know, getting back Clayton Kershaw for Bryce Harper is a very reasonable, handsome return, honestly. Not even just reasonable. It's a very nice return. Clayton Kershaw has been exceptional this season. He is potentially going to be a Cy Young candidate if he is able to keep this up. And I don't see any problem in making uh, that kind of move here. Next up, top two between Cortez, Flaherty, and Patrick Sandoval. I would have to go with Cortez and Patrick Sandoval still. I do not have really any faith in Flaherty. It was interesting last night, by the way. Flaherty goes out there and throws an absolute gem. Ten strikeouts, seven innings of shutout ball, and it's Wilson Contreras back behind the plate, the guy who forgot how to catch last week, and the Cardinals had to teach him how to catch again, or whatever nonsense they were trying to spout. Oh, man, I don't know. But Joe Joe Flaherty, Jesus, Jack Flaherty uh, is not a good pitcher. He has not great control. The strikeouts are usually not there. Very hit and miss on the strikeouts. Like a 10K game, Really not something you can expect to see with any regularity going forward from Flaherty. The team has also not been very good. They've been coming around recently, but the team has also not been great so far this season. How much will they end up turning it around? I think they'll be okay. I think they'll be above 500 team. They'll probably sneak in in a wild card spot, and maybe they end up at the division. But they're not as good as we are typically used to expecting the Cardinals to be, and a lot of that does come down to the weakness in their rotation, and Flaherty is a big reason for that. He's not a great pitcher. He had a great start yesterday but I don't have a lot of faith in him. I would much rather take Nestor Cortez and Patrick Sandoval rest of the season. I think that there is better team context. Close, it's arguable, but I think there's better team context. I think that the talent level is just superior in both of those guys. Sandoval has not really been blowing you away this year so far, but he's got a 322 ERA, a 116 whip. He's been pretty good. He's been doing well. He's been a one really bad start against the Yankees, but other than that, he's looked really good. Nestor has struggled a bit as well recently. But if you look at what he's done the last couple of seasons, I think this is more so a rough patch than anything else. The teams that really beat up on him, Texas and Tampa, they've been top offenses this season. So I wouldn't look at that. You know, people have dropped Nestor. He's gone from 95 down to 91% rostered in Yahoo leagues. I think it's very premature to be getting rid of somebody who has shown for the last couple of seasons that he's one of the better pitchers in the American League. So my choice there would be Cortez and Patrick Sandoval. Dropping Grayson Rodriguez or play him based on matchups. It really depends on the depth of your league. Uh, in my 10-team league, I am going to be dropping him today. Uh, I'm just kind of figuring out how to plan that out exactly, who I should be picking up. But he is hitting the wire in my 10-team leagues. 
I don't have him in 12-team leagues, but yeah, I think it's a very reasonable drop in a 12-team league. Grayson Rodriguez so far has been brutal in a 12-team waiver wire. There's typically going to be some better options on there, even if it's not somebody that you're going to be replacing one for one, even if you're just using that spot for streaming for two-star pitchers every week. I think there's more value there currently in a 12-team league than there is in Grayson. If you're in a 15-team or deeper league, I would still be holding on. The waiver wire for pitchers is brutal. You could be going for, honestly, you're going for scrap heaps in 15-team leagues. 15-team leagues, especially roto leagues with five outfielders and deeper rosters, there's just nothing going on there. There's really nothing that you're going to be dropping him for other than, again, maybe you're trying to get some streaming spots in there. But I think at this point... In a 15-team league, I'm still holding on because we know he could be so much better than what we have seen so far. The strikeouts have been there for the most part. It's just the actual performances have been dreadful. They have been dreadful. And, you know, I am definitely not as high as I would have been at the beginning of the season, but he has still the potential to be a top, I want to say, 25, top 30 pitcher in baseball, maybe even higher than that. The potential is still sky high, and I think that he will figure it out throughout the season. But at this point in shallower leagues, I really don't have a problem cutting bait. I think that he will get better, but holding him through what has been a dreadful, dreadful schedule, and next up, looks like he's facing Toronto, I don't know that I'm going to be very confident in holding on to him. I think, you know, if you want to bench him in those shallower formats, that's also a fine option, but there are a lot of good quality arms on 10 and 12-team waiver wires, especially 10-team waiver wires. There's really no need to hold him in those really shallow formats. It might end up biting you in the ass, but I think at the end of the day, I'm okay to move on from him, uh, depending on the size. Deeper leagues, I would still be holding on to Grayson Rodriguez. What would it take to trade for Josh Lowe in Dynasty? It's a good question. Josh Lowe's Dynasty value is probably skyrocketing to the point right now where you don't really probably want to even get in on it. Um, you know, it really depends. I mean, leagues are so individualized. You might be able to get him still for a fairly cheap price if you're looking at somebody who's saying, okay, not playing every single day. I'm not sure what the Rays are going to do. Rays are going to Ray and that kind of mentality. Then you might be able to actually get him for a fairly reasonable price. But considering he was somebody that came into last year with a lot of hype, now that is actually coming to fruition. We're still talking about a guy who is, I believe, 20, he's 25 years old. Sky high potential. I think that the price, especially right now, is going to be really, really high. I'm just trying to, you know, roughly calculate in my head. It's probably... You know, he's probably going on a top 100 dynasty asset right now. Uh, that would probably be the price, if not even somebody a little bit higher, just based on the hype of the unknown, because he could even get better than this. You know, this is his first real foray into the big leagues. I know last year he played 52 games, but never really got cooking, looked pretty awful, was sent down, striking out a bunch. He wasn't really doing much at all. And this year he's been a five-category stud. So his stock is just rising and rising. It's hard to say, honestly, what the correct price is. But I think he's, at this point, without being somebody who focuses a lot on Dynasty, I think that he's probably a borderline top 100, top 80 kind of player. So if that's the price, and it might even be higher. It honestly might even be higher because before the season, I don't even know where he would have been ranked in Dynasty rankings. Probably fairly low. I don't even know if he would have like cracked top 500, top 400 prospect Dynasty rankings. He even Okay, he, he would have probably for, for prospect rankings for sure if he's still qualified, but... Dynasty rankings, I'm really not sure before the season where he would have been. It would not have been very high up. So, I mean, maybe there is still that room. Like I said, you know, he's not playing every single day. Some people might be worried about long-term playing time. You might be able to get him for a player outside of the top 100, 150 or so. 
But I think in most leagues, competitive leagues, you're going to have to give away a top 100 player for him. And that's probably like the lowest it's going to be. Might might end up being a top 75, top 80 player. But I don't know that I'm necessarily going to be paying that kind of price for him at this point. I think that the price is right, sure. But if you know people are wanting top 70, top 80 players for him, I don't know that I'm necessarily ready to jump in with both feet on that front. Again, I'm not the biggest dynasty expert, but that's kind of where I am. I'm not fully committed uh, into Josh Lowe from a long-term perspective yet. He looks really good this season, and I might be foolish for saying that. The right answer might be to buy at all costs, but I'm just still a little bit cautious about what the Rays are going to do long-term with him. Drop Patrick Sandoval or Grayson for Brian Bayo. I wouldn't. I, I, I mean, Bayo is okay. I, I really don't think he's that special, honestly. Just looking at his numbers that he's... They've done so far in the big leagues. They're not great. Even in AAA this year, like, you know, the ERA has been good throughout his – actually, it was just one start uh, in AAA this year. And the minors as a whole, pretty good, you know, not bad. But strikeouts were kind of the only real thing that he had going from a lot of the time. The actual performance was okay, spotty at best a lot of the time across different levels of the minors. The walks have been a bit of a problem. And at the big league level, he's been bad. So I would prefer Patrick Sandoval for sure. Grayson or Bayo, Grayson is still a much higher regarded prospect. He is still the guy that will have a higher outlook on a better team. He'd be the guy that I'm going for. Uh, Grayson is still a hold for me over Bayo. If that's the option to drop him for, then no, I would just say to hold Grayson. Another uh, Orioles question here. Do you think Santander played first yesterday to make room for Kowser? Do you think Westberg will be up in a starting role this year? Signed a depressed Orioles fan. Well, I don't know what there is to be that depressed about from an Orioles point of view. 26-15 and 15 record so far this season. They've been really, really good. Um, you know, the question of Westberg and Kowser. Well, we'll start off with the top here. Do you think Santander played first to make room for Kowser? No, I don't think so. They got Mountcastle going at first a lot of the time. I don't know that that's necessarily going to be the direct one-for-one move. And again, I always preface these minor league questions by saying... I am not a prospect person. There are people who focus a lot on these things. But I don't necessarily think that one day of Santander at first base means that Colton Kowser is coming up immediately. He probably should. If you look at what he's done so far this year, it's been ridiculous. In 33, or excuse me, 36 games in AAA, seven homers, he's got five steals, 43 runs in 36 games, and a 336 batting average. Not to mention he's walking nearly as much as he's striking out, and that's 20 0.1% of the time, 22% strikeout rate, but a over 20% walk rate. He's ready for the bigs. Now, in terms of like the Santander, Mountcastle thing, I don't think that's really going to factor so much. If there's anybody who's going to, you know, lose their job, probably it'd probably be Taron Vavra. That would be the guy who has not really performed as well. I think that generally we might be expecting a little bit too much out of Vavra. He looked good at certain parts of the minor leagues, but in the major leagues so far, I haven't been that impressed. I think he's probably the guy that would go uh, if Kowser were to come up. Now, Westberg, Westberg is kind of tricky because I'm not sure where exactly they would want to be using him. Again, maybe this is something where they would use him at second, second sword kind of, I don't know. Their, their infield, I think, is fairly taken care of, like unless they want to like replace Adam Frazier uh, Gunnar Henderson's probably staying there at third. Jorge Mateo has been really good. I don't know that he's going to come out at shortstop. And that's what you would be getting from Westberg was that kind of left side of the infield kind of player. 
I don't know that there's really that much room for, for both of them right now. I think if one's going to come up, it's going to probably be Kowser because there's more of a need in the outfield as far as I see it. And he's also been really good. He's got 11 homers, four steals, batting 321 so far in AAA. I just think that probably Kowser comes up first. Not to say that they are like going to be up soon because I, I, it's really hard to say. But I think that Kowser comes up first, gets into the outfield, takes over for Vavra, and at some point, maybe Westberg comes up and gets some utility kind of ABs the way that Gunnar Henderson did down the stretch last season. Get some second, some third, some short. I believe I believe that Westberg can play uh, either position on the left side of the infield, and I think he might be able to play second as well. Again, I'm not the most prospect-savvy person, but they're ready to come up, essentially. I just don't know that there's room for them on the Major League roster. But I wouldn't be so depressed uh, as an Orioles fan. I think that... <laughs> You have a lot to be excited about. Connor Norby as well, D.L. Hall. There's a lot of great prospects in that system, and I think that the team is going to be great for years and years to come. So no no real worry there, uh, but you should see Kowser up sooner than Westberg. That would be my prediction. No, I might be wrong, but that would be my guess at this point. I uh, have Seager and Altuve coming back. Who do I drop? I have Abreu, Grayson Rodriguez. Grayson seems to be in every question today. So Abreu, Grayson, uh, Wade Jr., Marsh, Marte. I'm going to assume Cattell Marte. Uh, Brandon Fott and Brandon Lau. So Brandon Marsh has been not very good recently. I think that he's probably the guy that he's, – he's the first most obvious one on that list for me. Uh, it's been a bad, bad couple of weeks. He's batting – you know, he was getting at-bats like in the fifth spot in the lineup, but now he's been getting irregular at-bats, seventh, eighth in the order. He's three for his last 26. The season line still looks pretty okay, but that's really heavily weighted by his strong start to the season. So I think Brandon Marsh is the first easy cut there. The second one becomes a little bit more difficult. You're getting a couple of second base or second base shortstop coming back. So maybe it is Marte, but Marte's done pretty admirably this season from what I can remember. And again, it's kind of tricky. I'm assuming it's Cattell Marte, but maybe you're talking Starling Marte. I don't think you could be at this point I'm gonna have to assume that's Cattell and I think that he's likely the cut I would understand if you want to drop Brandon Lau uh, you know but I think Brandon Lau at this point is just going through a bad funk that he will get out of he was one for three yesterday drove in a couple runs I think it's just a really bad stretch for him that he will end up coming out of and I think rest of season I do have more faith in him than I do in Marte the second base position now, that's me trying to factor in the positional quandary there. If you're just talking about, like, the worst players here to drop, it's Marsh and probably, I mean, it depends on your team need as well, but Brandon Fott would be a guy that I would look into dropping. I know he had a good start yesterday, or when was it? Was it yesterday or the day before? No, it was the day before yesterday, excuse me. Um, but I think from a talent perspective, I don't know that he is necessarily going to cut it. And I'm assuming this is a relatively shallow league, considering the names that you're talking about dropping. But I, I think at this point, depending or looking at your situation, for me, I think it would be Marsh and Marte. But I would understand if you wanted to drop Fat and Mar or Fat and uh, and Marsh, or if Brandon Lau wanted to come to the equation there as well. Like I just think Brandon Lau at this point looks worse than Cattell Marte. Again, assuming it's Cattell, but I have more faith in him going forward. So yeah, I long-winded way of saying for me, I think I would drop Marsh and uh, Cattell Marte there. Which outfield has the least value between Quan, Duran, O'Neal, and Kellenic? Need to move one for another position. It's probably Jeff McNeil or Quan, and it's likely Quan at that point. They're both doing kind of similar things. 
honestly, though, the more I think about it, I think it's, it might be uh, – I might be giving the edge there to Quan just because he's going to steal more bases than Jeff McNeil. I'm a big fan of all of these guys. I'd really you – know, I'd like you to keep all of them because I think that they all have a great value. Probably the odd man out there would be Jeff McNeil. You're getting more well-rounded production from the other ones. McNeil is more so a batting average specialist who's going to chip in a few dingers, a few steals. Uh, you know, decent counting stats because he's, you know, usually batting two or three in that order. He did bat seventh yesterday and went two for four. But uh, he's generally not giving you so much outside of the good batting average, which is 270 this year. He's been on a bit of a downturn recently. But it's pretty much batting average that you're getting from him. Outside of that, there's not much. So I think that Jeff McNeil would be the one I move on from there between Stephen Kwan, uh, Jaron Duran, and uh, Kalanick. Got offered trade Mateo for Varsho. Uh, I, I would keep Varsho there still. I saw a tweet the other day from our good friend Mike Curland, and he was talking about how bad the quality of contact uh, metrics and everything have been for, for Jorge Mateo recently. He's over his last 16. He really hasn't looked great, and he's a very streaky, streaky player. Throughout the course of the season, you know, he'll probably do something similar, or actually better probably, um, to his 2022 year where he had 13 homers and 35 steals. I think that he'll end up with a similar line, maybe a little bit better, but it will come in streaks. There might be a hot month, followed by a shit month, followed by a hot month, followed by a shit month. So it's not something where you can look at and say, Jorge Mateo, if you prorate what he's done over the course of the first month, multiply it by six and he'll do that for the whole... No, that's not how it's going to work with him. You might be able to multiply it by two or three, and that will be the production that you'll probably see from him, likely three. You know, you're probably going to see maybe 18 homers, you know, 35, 40 steal range. But at the end of the day, Dalton Varsho has some of the highest value in all of fantasy baseball because he is a catcher-eligible player who is in the middle of one of the best lineups in baseball, and he doesn't catch. So he's giving you every day at bats from a position that is incredibly hard to come by. While also, you know, I know it hasn't been the prettiest. Blue Jays fans are kind of upset with him, but six homers, six steals. He's batting 221, which isn't great, but he batted 235 last year. I don't know that the expectations were that high necessarily in terms of what he was going to hit from a batting average point of view he is 298 over the last couple of weeks 14 for 47 but I think you're not getting much batting average out of him the big thing here is the catcher eligibility which again it's probably not going to be there forever but if you're just talking about this season Dalton Varsho for me has a lot more value than Jorge Mateo if you're just even looking at you know in a vacuum, their actual production, probably going to be fairly similar with Varsho with more homers, probably a few less steals. But I think even if you just you know, remove the position, Varsho is better. And then when you factor in the fact that he does have catcher eligibility, they're playing every single day, cleaning up usually for a great Blue Jays lineup. Dalton Varsho is the guy that I would definitely lean to here uh, between those two names. Uh, is it time to drop A.J. Minter in a saves uh, slash holds league? Yeah, I think it was time a little while back. Uh, he's been brutal like his last couple periods he's given up runs in three straight appearances he's been shit on the thing with save hold leagues is there are so many viable options and that's why i honestly don't like playing in save plus hold leagues save slash holds whatever it's because there's too many options and it dilutes the actual need to go and take a risk on drafting closers fairly high up because there's literally no need to take any relief pitcher in the top 100 or so picks if you're using saves plus holds there's really not. If you want to go for like an Edwin Diaz or a hater or somebody that gives you great strikeouts too, then that would generally make sense. But, you know, if you're talking about a guy who's just blowing up your ratios in, in, a, in a situation where saves plus holds, there are a lot of options, you know. If you're just narrowing it down to saves, then there are 30 players that you can go through from a player pool generally. You know, there might be some 
some committee safe uh, situations going on or whatever. But generally, you know, there's 30, call it 32 maybe, closures you can go through if you're just in a saves league. If you're in a saves plus holds league, that gets opened up to close to, I'm going to say, about 70, 80, maybe even 100 viable names. Maybe 100 is pushing it too much. Throughout the course of the whole season, though, pro- probably not too far off. There are just so many viable options, and A.J. Minter, who is out of the job as the closer, not giving you anything on the ratio side. He's giving you some Ks, but, I mean, there's so many strikeouts. That you, can, you can find so many relievers that will give you good strikeout per nine numbers, strikeout per inning numbers, that A.J. Minter in his current role with his 8.05 ERA and 147 whip definitely would be sending him back to the waiver wire. Is Ranger Suarez worth a roster spot? I think so. In most leagues, Ranger Suarez is somebody that should be added. Not that he would be a shallow league guy for me. I don't know that he's going to cut it for you in a 10-teamer. Uh, I think 12-teamers is probably about where you should be looking at him. And I think, you know, even though it was a bad first start of the year, it was at course Field. He gets the Cubs next. I would be using him as a streamer there. Uh, that one will be on the 19th of May, so this Friday. I'd be looking into Ranger Suarez. I added him uh, up a couple weeks ago in one of my NFBC leagues, a 15-team league, and I was just hoping – because pitching has just been so hard to come by this year, hoping that he'd come back and then he'd get a few good matchups. I didn't start him against that Colorado in that Colorado matchup, but I do have him scheduled in a starting lineup for this week. And that is a 15-team league. So, yes, absolutely in a 15-teamer. Ranger Suarez should be on rosters. Talking 12s, I think we're probably a little bit borderline, and I wouldn't bother in a 10-team league. But 12s, I think that he will have streaming value for sure, uh, at least for that game against Chicago. Trade Lazardo and May for Sandy Alcantara. Yeah, I think you, you kind of have to make that kind of trade at this point. Sandy's been brutal. Sandy has been really bad. But if you're getting him for Lazardo, who does have kind of health questions, I don't know if he's going to be able to give you a full season. Not to mention the performance has been pretty good, but not like stellar from Lazardo. I was expecting a lot better. It's been okay. He's got a 338 ERA, but a 141 whip. 48 strikeouts and 45 innings is not exactly the K upside we were hoping for there. It's been pretty okay from the you know results standpoint, but I haven't been t- really that impressed with him. Dustin May has been really good as well, but you've also got that concern with the massive injury history. He doesn't strike out anybody. He's got 32 Ks in 47 innings. Now, he's giving you great ratios, 268 ERA, a .94 whip. But I don't know that I have that much faith in Dustin May going 150, 160, 180 innings. I think we're probably looking at like 120 or so, probably somewhere in that range. You can make, you know, it's probably not going to happen. But Sandy might throw more innings than both of these guys combined. Now, in terms of the actual results from Sandy, it's been dreadful. But this is kind of a perfect little buy low situation. I think, uh, you know, there's you might even be able to pay less for Sandy at this point because of how bad it's been. Um, but the strikeouts have been there, even more so than last year. It's just been the ERA, really. Like, the whip at 121, considering his 491 ERA, is really not that bad. There's been a couple of blow-up starts, but there's also been some really excellent starts in there. There was a complete game against Minnesota that was a shutout. He worked into the ninth inning two starts ago against Chicago, nine strikeouts. You know, the strikeouts have been really good for him. It's just been the actual results, and I think you have to bank on somebody with his talent, especially considering the volume that he's going to get. I think you have to consider that to be the better side of that trade. Sandy is still, as much as I was down on him coming into the year, I still had him as like my 11th or 12th pitcher. I didn't expect him to be this bad, and I really don't expect him to be this bad going forward. So, yes, uh, long story short, I would make that trade. Jesus Lazardo and Dustin May for Sandy Alcantara, I would, I would definitely be making that trade. Uh, would you trade Logan Webb and Zach Eflin slash uh, Bybee for Luis Castillo? Yes. Luis Castillo is, at this point, for me, a top 10 pitcher. 
the price would have to be very high for me to not want to make that kind of deal. Last two starts, really not good for him. They also came against Houston and against Texas. So tricky matchups. I'm not going to hold it against them. He's still, in my eyes, one of the probably 10 or so best pitchers in baseball, 10 or 12. I think with Logan Webb, you know, he's a good pitcher, pitches for a bad team who's got bad defense behind him. And he's been really good so far this season, but I don't know that I would trust him even anywhere nearly as much as I would trust uh, Luis Castillo. That one's pretty obvious. But even if you factor in adding in Eflin or Bybee there, Eflin is good. He's been a really good start to the season. But I don't know about sustainability for a guy like Eflin, especially if you're talking like a shallower league. He's somebody where I feel like by the end of the season could be more of a streamer slash waiver wire guy. It's been a very good start, but I don't have a lot of long-term faith in him. If you can trade Logan Webb and Zach Eflin for Castillo, I would be doing it. Bybee, I would be trying to hold on to Bybee. Uh, I still have a lot of faith in him. I always spell his name wrong, too. I always feel like there should be two Bs in there for Bybee. But, alas, there is not. It's B-I-B-E-E. He had the one bad start against Detroit. But other than that, the dude has been fantastic. 22 innings, 22 Ks. He's got a 322 ERA, a 103 whip. It's about as much as you could hope for from a guy coming up and getting his first cup of coffee. So, if you can pull off the trade of Webb and Eflin for Castillo, no question I would be doing it. Uh, Joe, really need help with uh, first baseman with Crone out. Which of these guys available you think is best for a category league? So Brandon Drury, Miguel Vargas, Brandon Donovan, Nick Prado, and Spencer Steer. I would probably go with Vargas just because you have that upside of the Dodgers lineup. You get first base and second base eligibility. He is starting to heat up as well right now. And I think there's arguments you could be making, honestly, for all of these guys. You know, Spencer Steer, great ballpark. I think the lineup is just going to continue to improve around him as we continue to see these guys get called up. And he's been good. You know, he hasn't been blowing you away, but he's been good. 254 average, five homers. He's not the guy I'd go for here. I think he's, you know, of all the guys you make the argument for, it's probably not Steer. Brandon Donovan, even though you think you could make it, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's a very good question. You could make the argument for any of them. Uh, move on to Brandon Donovan. I had so much faith coming into the season, and I still do to some degree. But at this point, it's been a really rough stretch where he's not playing a lot. And I don't know that you can make the argument outside of you get a versatile position guy. He's got first, second, third, short, outfield eligibility in Yahoo, which is just fantastic. But he's not playing enough where I could justify him being the pickup there. Nick Prado, I'll just go through all these guys and get my quick analysis on all of them. Nick Prado, I think that he is starting to come down to earth a little bit, and it will continue to do so. Like he's not going to bat anywhere near 328. He's in a pretty good spot in their lineup, typically between four and six. But we're talking about a bad lineup here as well. So I can't make the argument for Nick Prado really as much as I'd maybe want to because I was excited about him. But I don't think that he would be the guy here. I would say uh, it's probably Miguel Vargas. Brandon Drury, I, I also just don't really have that much faith in over the course of the whole season. I think that he got really lucky last season. I think that you know playing in Cincinnati really boosted his overall stat line. Once he got to San Diego, it was pretty shitful. I think it's Vargas, you know, I think going through it, I think Vargas is the guy that I would go for. He's been trending upwards over the last few weeks. He's looked, he's hitting home runs. He's stolen a couple bases. Like he's getting regular ABs there and he's bouncing around the lineup between five, six, seven, and eight, but he's getting regular ABs first and second eligible in a great lineup. Long way of saying that I would go for Miguel Vargas there considering those options. One last question here. We got, what is wrong with Manny Machado? Boy, I wish I could tell you. Well, first off, he got hit by a pitch last night on his hand. The x-rays came back negative. Huge news because 
if Machado had been fractured hand, and that would have just absolutely sealed the deal for a lot of people. He actually might have been cut in some shallower leagues because the way people have itchy trigger, trigger fingers. If we did hear, yeah, Machado got a fractured hand, he's out for a couple months or whatever, I think a lot of people would have probably pulled the plug. Now, in terms of the actual production for Manny Machado, it's really hard to narrow down. I've seen a lot of discourse on Twitter about, is Machado okay? Is he in his declining phase? Is he... like? I don't think we can say he is declining at age 30. I think it's a little bit too soon. Now, granted, there is more mileage on those tires than there are most people at age 30 because he's been playing in the show since he was 19. But I don't think you can look at him and say he is cooked at this point. You know, he is not meeting the metrics that we usually see from him. The walk rate is down. The strikeout rate is a little bit raised like compared to his career numbers. But if you're looking at based on like last season when he was an MVP candidate, same strikeout rate, same exact strikeout rate. The BABIP is substantially down from what it's usually at. Last year was 337. For the career, it's 300. Right now, it's 263. He's just not getting those balls in play luck like he typically has throughout his career. This is the lowest BABIP that he has ever had here. Uh, previous low was 265 all the way back in 2017, and he batted 259 that year. So this might just be a year where the BABIP is not helping him out based on the, the I don't know, the way that the defenses are playing. There might just be some bad luck involved there, and I think that that's more likely the case than Manny Machado is just cooked. You know, Chris Towers, who was on the show a couple weeks ago, he's one of the hosts on the CBS Fantasy Baseball Today podcast. He tweeted something out that was really interesting, that Manny Machado kind of goes through this pretty much every season, and actually occasionally it'll happen a couple times a year where he just has a bad 30-40 game stretch. And I don't think that we can look at somebody like Machado with his talent in that lineup, which I know has been bad, uh, and have anything but confidence that he will turn it around. If you want to try and buy low on Machado, I would be doing it because the price is probably hard to say exactly. It varies so much league to league, format to format, site to site. But I think that the price is probably low enough where you should be you should be biting on him. Any Any star player, pretty much, at this point of the year who is underperforming, there are exceptions, but I think most of them you throw a, a buy low offer on. If you have Machado, then it's very worrying. Obviously, the fact that he's batting 231, only the five home runs so far in 40 games. But I don't think there's any move you can do. If you sell him at a discount, then it'd be foolish. If you buy him at a discount, it's smart. But I think if you sell Machado right now for anything less than a dollar on the dollar, you're really making a mistake. You paid a first round pick, maybe an early second round pick for him. If you're selling right now, you're not getting anywhere close to the return on the investment that you spent just a month or so ago. So I'm holding on. we got a great lineup around him, and I think over the course of the whole season, he will figure it out and be perfectly fine. There's still worry, but I think over the course of the whole season, Machado will still end up being a top 50 fantasy player. Just want to make sure I'm going to refresh one more time and see if any last-minute questions came in, but I think that is it, guys. I really appreciate all of you throwing these questions in there. Really helps me out because there are some days where, and I guess I, I talked about it on Twitter a lot this last week, but not really over the podcast. It's been a really troubling week. I've had some uh, stuff going on in my personal life, which has been making it hard to put out content. And I appreciate you guys engaging with posts like this, which do help me get through a podcast when I don't really have that get up and go to prepare a whole outline and get guests scheduled and all of that good stuff, which I love to do. I really love to do it. It's just been a very, very hard week for me. But as I tweeted out earlier today, going to be getting more content out over these next couple days and then try and get back to normal with the quick hits and all the stuff you come from to expect from me uh, over these last couple of years. So apologies for the downturn in content. It's just been, 
it's hard to put into words how difficult of a week it has been. And I appreciate all the messages, everybody reaching out on Twitter. It really does mean a lot. I got a great support system, so I'm going to be fine. Uh, but I just want to let you know that I appreciate all you guys who have been sending in questions, sending in your thoughts, and you know, uh, really just trying to support me through a tough time. It means more than you can know. And I know I'll you know, never meet any of you guys, probably, uh, but your support that you guys have sent through messages and responses to tweets is really, really helpful, and I really, truly appreciate that on a human level. Guys, uh, we're going to wrap it up there. Again, really appreciate all the support, whether it is through messages, through downloading the podcast, through follows on Twitter, all of that really is truly appreciated. If you could hit us with a review on the podcast, let us know what you think. Really appreciate that. Those five stars, those friendly comments really do help the show to grow. That is part of the reason why we've grown our audience as much as we have over the last year because of you guys leaving your comments, leaving your reviews, following on Twitter and sharing stuff out. So continue to do all that that you have been doing uh, follow me on Twitter at JoeOrico99. That's J-O-E-O-R-R-I-C-O-99. And then you can also check out all of the great work from the rest of our team at E-T-H-O-S Fantasy BB. Guys, we'll be back tomorrow. We'll do something different. We will talk about some news of the day. We'll go through streamers for the following day, and we'll get back more into our routine tomorrow. But until then, have a great evening, everybody. Take care, and cheers. Cheers.